there's a few people who have been hanging around Central Vineyard for a while have probably gone, when they've seen that slide. If you're new, bear with us. If you're old, please, I urge you to listen. Um, there is a reason that we do this talk. Um, so, um, to start, Rightmove, I, d- I did a bit of research. Rightmove, um, the property website that everybody, even if you're not even thinking of moving, likes to look at just to sneak around other people's homes. I'm sure we've all been there. Um, every year they run this survey called Happy at Home. And in, they, in this survey, they try and gauge how um, much people like the area they live in. Um, and they um, try and find the happiest place in the country. Now, it's all subjective, I know. Um, and they survey like 25,000 people, which doesn't seem that many. And then they come up with this sort of league table of where the, the best places are to live in the UK. And I suppose it's a way of them getting people to say, oh, I'm going to move to here. Um, so I thought, oh, it would be interesting to see where Northampton fares on that list, because if you're from Northampton, you live in Northampton, um, I think you, um, we tend to have a bit of a downer on the place. It's not brilliant. I've, I quite like it, but um, some people have a bit of a downer. And I, was, I wasn't surprised to find out that it was actually just average, middle of the road, not the best, not the worst, just average. Um, if for those of you interested, the top place was Harrogate. I don't know if anyone's from Harrogate. They haven't been to Harrogate. There you go. It's quite a nice place. And the worst place was Dagenham. I've never been to that. Da- I've never been to Dagenham. Um, and I'm not sure I'm going to now. Um, so Northampton, though, was the 49th out of 130 areas for people responding positive to, positively to the question, people who live in my area are friendly and polite. So we're average. We're averagely polite and friendly. Um, we were, however, 15th out of 130 of people who actually, you know, actually like living in their town. So people like living here, but they're not so keen on their neighbours and the people in the town, or they don't think they're particularly friendly. Um, And so as a church, I think we should be called to kind of change that. And I know we're not actually changed that survey result, but I think that's a good gauge of where people are at. And if people aren't very friendly, then surely as the church, we need to start being um, a bit friendlier. So like I said, if you've been hanging around for a long time, you know that this talk is The Art of Neighbouring. I did try and give it a different name, but I did put The Art of Neighbouring underneath on my slides. Um, now, this isn't the most popular talk in the church. Steve told me not to say this, but I think it's important. I think, I've told a few people, and I noticed one of them isn't here. He said he would be. <laughs> no, I won't mention any names. I'll let you guess who it is. Um, who were like, oh, I've heard that talk. I think we've done it for like two, this would be the third time we've done that talk. But actually... It's really hard to listen to because it's one of those talks where every single person here can be challenged by it and it calls us to act. Often in church we hear a talk, Steve you know, does a great sermon and we sit there thinking, that was a really good sermon, he's obviously spent a lot of time on that. doesn't really apply to me though, so I can go away easy and have an easy week. Whereas this one, every single person here lives near somebody, I'm guessing, even if it, you know, you live in a big house, you've got a next door neighbour that might be a mile away. Um, we've all got neighbours and we've all got people who we interact with. Um, so we're going to crack on with it and we'll see where we go. So the church, I don't you may have noticed on our church literature that our um, tagline, our motto, our one-line mission statement is um, joining God in the renewal of all things, bringing communities to life. And often we shorten that just to bringing communities to life. So we really feel that God is calling us as a church to bring our communities to life. We're not called just to sit in here. It's not, we're not called to um, 
consume, we're called to give out, we're called to bring this town to life. Um, it's quite a good tagline, but that's not the only reason it's there. We actually want to act on that. Um, so we need to be passionate about reaching our town and our neighbourhoods. And the quality, we believe the quality or the health of this church isn't judged on how good the Sunday services are, how good the donuts are, um, how good the you know, material and the publicity is. Um, they're all important, but we want the health of our church to be judged on the health of the community. How, um, how is the community, um, how we respond as the community. So before we start, I thought it would be interesting, to, uh, we thought we should just pray um, for those, mainly for those of you who heard this before. <laughs> so you can perhaps hear it through fresh ears. So I'll just quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to come um, and dwell in this place this morning. I just pray that the words that I've got will, um, will be heard and, um, and what you want to say to the church will come across. We just pray for people who have um, heard this talk before, Lord. We just pray that um, they will hear um, new things and fresh ideas and that you'll give us all a passion to reach our town for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if we go to the next slide, we're just going to um, do a little bit of the background and then the reason Steve's got me up is um, I'm going to talk about our experience of that because Annie and I, must be honest, me a bit reluctantly, um, over the last couple of years, I've been trying to put some of this into practice. Um, so if, we just, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40, um, just a bit of a background. Jesus has been challenged um, by the Sadducees, and Jesus silences them. So the Pharisees thought they'd give it a go to try and catch him out, you know, um, sort of two religious sects or two religious sets of people, and one's tried to catch him out and haven't succeeded. So I think the others thought, I will have a go and try and catch him out. So we're starting in Matthew 22, um, 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So this wasn't new stuff from Jesus. Um, I did a bit of digging. and um, but What he references are two parts, and it's um, sometimes called the Jewish law of love. Um, and the first part, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, is found in Deuteronomy. Um, in the Old Testament, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So those of you making notes, that's in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And the second part, the love of your neighbor, is also found in the Old Testament, oddly in the book of Leviticus, which if you read it, is just a long list of, do's, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Um, and in the middle of it, hidden, in Leviticus 19, eight, uh, Chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love the... Love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So love is a verb. It's an act. There's an old, is it a DC talk song? Love is a verb. Um, there we go. Big DC talk fan on the front here. <laughs> Some of the younger ones are like, DC who? <laughs> Have you heard of them, Rob? <laughs> so it's something that we, it's not just a feeling. It's something that needs to be lived out. So if we go back to Matthew um, 
the Pharisee asks Jesus for one commandment, but Jesus actually responds with two. So the, the Pharisee says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, actually, these two are inseparable. There isn't one. There's two. Love the Lord your God and love your, um, love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two right, everything else will flow out of that. So you, that's why I was saying you shouldn't be surprised as a church this talk gets repeated. Um, it's not because we've, Steve's run out of things to say or I've run out of things to say. We're like, oh, what should we do this week? Oh, no, we'll do the Art and Neighbouring talk. That is not why we do it. Um, what we want to try and do is try and create this culture as a church that we actually love our neighbours. Um, and our love for God, can't, it can't just be internalised. It can't just happen here on a Sunday. Um, it's not just this sort of vertical relationship um, with, with God. Um, it has to be expressed by loving others around us. And we must imitate what we love. And if Jesus um, calls us to love others, or he's shown that, we must imitate that. So like I said, this isn't new theology from Jesus. This is Old Testament stuff. And we know that because in Luke chapter 10, I think I've got the slide, um, we see the question the other way around. So we'll... Um, in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, I'm hoping I've got it here, yep. Um, it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Just stop there a minute. So you've got Jesus asking the same question that he was asked, um, and the answer is the same. So it was almost like, a, do you know your stuff? What's the greatest commandment? And that, that was the response. But then the guy who's asked Jesus, is, is it feels to me that he's almost asking Jesus, um, where does that love start and stop? When he says, who is my neighbour? He's asking for clarification. Is it just Jeff next door? Is it just to the end of the street? Is it that guy over there? Is it just my family? Um, is it just people who are the same as me? Is it just people who live in my country? But then Jesus um, answers the question in a parable, a parable of the Good Samaritan, which is um, obviously a very famous parable. But it would be worth reading, so we'll just carry on. Um, Luke 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and he met the man. He felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to, to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go do the same. So we could do a long talk on that, but basically what Jesus is saying there is, everyone is your neighbour. So this, like I said, you could do a big long talk, but basically the Samaritans um, were seen as bad people and he came and helped. And that's what Jesus is trying to illustrate there, um, that everybody's your neighbour. We don't get to choose who our neighbours are. 
Um, even our enemies, we need to love them too. So what Jesus is saying here is obviously hugely important, and like we've heard earlier, that is very important. We are called to love everybody, anyone that we have contact with. Um, but what we sometimes find the problem is when we take that um, sort of notion that everybody's our neighbour, is that we end up thinking about our neighbours in a metaphorical sense. Um, but if this, it's almost like a undoable task. There's so many people. How how can we love everybody? And we end up practicing this sort of metaphorical love where we just say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Of course I love everybody. It gets a bit fluffy. Um, and we end up saying that we love everyone but actually do very little. Um, so the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us just ends up being something that we do in theory. But what if we took Jesus literally when he said, love your neighbour? You know those people who live about nine feet away? Or in our instance, I was thinking about this when I was um, writing it. It freaked me out a little bit. So I was laying in bed thinking, my neighbour's head is about, well, how long? <laughs> Potentially, depends on where his bed is in his, in his room. It's about that far, because we live in a terrace house. About that far away from my head. So that freaked me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> But, you know, those people that live that close to you, those people that steal your bins and, you know, park on your lawn, things like that. But what would it mean if we actually started to love those people? If we did that, could we actually see our communities, and not just the town of our community, but your community, your street, I don't live there, you live there, your community come to life? If the end game, the black belt version, as my dad would say, the, the Jesus answer, the, you know, the really hard challenge is to love everybody. And actually loving our neighbours, the people who are next door, should be a baby step. You've got something in common with them. They live in the same street as you. You might not have anything else in common with them, but you've got something in common with them. And I've, I think, I believe that the best thing we can do collectively as a church to, to bring our communities to life is to start with our immediate neighbours. So we can sit here week after week listening to, you know, positive talks and feel, feel good about ourselves. But if nothing happens out there, if, nothing, if, if everything stops at that door, then there's not really any point. It just becomes internal and we're called to, um, to reach out. So you may be sitting there thinking, oh, that's all right for you, Pete. You don't live down my road. I've heard some people say that. You don't live down my road. And you probably wouldn't want to because the parking's horrendous. <laughs> but if that's you, I've got some bad news. And the bad news is God's put you there for a reason. Whether you like it or not, whether you don't, you know, like your neighbours or not, God has put you for a, put you there for a reason. God has chosen you to be the best bet for your neighbours. Now, I look around and think, crikey. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just making sure you're all there. And God has chosen you. He's not chosen that grumpy bloke who lives down the street to reach them. He's chosen the grumpy bloke who lives in your house or, grum- or grumpy lady. He's cho- he, so he's, he has chosen you. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You read that and think, oh, bad luck. You're the, you are the light of the world. We are called to bring light into the dark. 
So like I said, I think this is one of the hardest to listen to because it just includes everybody. Everybody gets to do this. Everyone can do this. Um, I remember when we first heard this talk and I was just like, just sort of slouched in my seat a little bit thinking, ah, I'm going to have to do something about this. And because, you know, Andy and I are on leadership team, we thought, Steve's going to check that we're doing it. I can't, <laughs> I can't even pretend we are, you know. We're going to have to actually do it. And if you know me, I'm not particularly extrovert. I'd probably, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't mind people. But <laughs> I'm not. And he's much more extrovert than I am. And so that idea for me just was like, oh, it's horrendous. I don't want to speak to the neighbours. I just want to run to my car um, and, you know, get in the car, drive off, come back, run back into the house. And don't really want to have anything to do with them. You know, I'll say hello if they see me, but I can't really be bothered. You know, I've got the mentality that I've got enough people in my life and I haven't really got any room for any more. And it sounds, but that's how, honestly, that's how I felt. Um, but then in Acts 17, um, it says, From one man he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose for the nation is to, to seek after the Lord and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So God here, it says, God here, um, he determined their boundaries. And in a modern sense, he determined where I lived. Um, and he determined where some of you live. Now, obviously, I've got issues with some of that because some of you live in lovely houses and lovely areas. You think, oh, I wish I, why can't I have chosen to live there? No, I'm just kidding. But he's chosen you to be there for a reason. Um, and we can't rely on others. God has put you there for a reason. So, what's the time? Okay, I've got a bit of time. Doesn't matter if we run over. Um, we're going to do a bit of a practical bit. Now, I was, I'm in an RN, whether I should do this bit. Some of you know what's coming next. Um, but Steve told me I should put his foot down. <laughs> and I think he's right, so that's fine. Um, if you, if Tammy, can you hand that? I haven't got any pens, so you might just want to take it home. Um, we put the next slide up. Okay, so some of you may recognise this. <laughs> put your hands up if you recognise this. There we go. Half. Affectionately called the square of shame. <laughs> so you don't have to fill this in now, but I'd maybe stick it on your fridge or something, even if you don't fill it in. Um, but it might prompt you to maybe try and fill it in at some point. These cost money to print, so don't bin it. I'm remembering where everyone's sitting, so if there's any left on the chairs, we'll put it in the post. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to run through it for those of you who have never done this before. The house in the middle, that's meant to represent you. So what you do is you write your name in the middle of that box. Okay? So if we click to the next one. Slide. Right. So, so when, I first, when we first did this, we knew, um, we knew the name of our immediate next door neighbours, but we didn't know anything about them. Um, and we didn't know anybody else in our street. Um, it was shameful, really. Um, we still don't know everybody. That's why I've been honest and put some question marks in there. So we're in the middle. So the first thing is to write the names of your nine nearest neighbours, or eight nearest neighbours in those other boxes. Um, now, not 
most people would be able to write a couple. Not many would be able to write all of them. Um, but the next thing after you've done that, when you can do this when you get home, is to write one thing um, that you know about them. And they've got blonde hair or they drive a Audi. doesn't count because they're things that you can tell just by peeking through the curtains. Um, or they work nights or anything like that. So we, again, we didn't know any, well, we knew their names, but we knew nothing. I could have said what car they drove or, you know, we had a beard um, and things like that. Now, the next thing you do after that is you try and write something in about every person, something a bit more in depth. So maybe their hopes or their fears or um, what they want to do or where they, where they are spiritually or something a bit deeper that you would only know from having a... Um, so a relationship with them. Now, I'm not gonna gonna get you to do it now. Take it home and think about it. But so I wanted to look at this. So you've got us in the middle here. Like I said, we didn't know anyone. We knew. I do know their names. I've just I've just hidden their names because I, I don't know. I just felt I've not just written random letters in there. <laughs> um, now we don't know all of those. We probably know something about everyone. The one at the top, I can't, t- I can't tell you anything about him because it's all a bit weird. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily positive things to know. Um, and then I would say, I don't know, half of them, two or three of them, we probably know something a bit more in depth, but that's taken us two years to do. So the first point, you know, to know their names. If we're going to take this exercise, you know, if we're going to take this seriously and we're going to try and love our neighbours, then surely the first step is to at least know their names. It's hard to love someone if you don't know their name. Um, that's, that would be a good place to start. Now, if you've lived in your street for 25 years and you still don't know your neighbour's name, then that might be slightly awkward. Oh, hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so, and I've lived, in, lived next door for 25 years, but I have no idea who you are. Um, then that may be awkward. If you're the sort of personality where you could just go and do that, great, I'm not. I would try and think of sly things to do, to try and find people's names out. So I've got a list here. <laughs> thinking how could you cunningly find out what their name is but Christmas is a perfect time to do this because you can everyone writes cards Christmas cards but just don't sign your Christmas card from all at number 25 if you put your name in I bet there's a ch- good chance that you'll get a card back because they'll feel guilty that you've given them a card <laughs> and you will get a card back and it will probably have their names in then you know their names you don't even have to ask them next time you see them you can say hi John or whatever so there we go that's an easy thing um, while I was looking at this talk um, I saw something on Twitter pop up and I have noticed that TK Maxx the what well, I don't know what they discount fashion shop I don't want to tell you too much the other shops are available I've done a Christmas advert this year which is all about this and it was it's really well done I've got a clip we'll show it in a minute um, but I thought it was slightly shameful that the church hadn't put anything out like this before it took a massive retailer um, to do this so if you just play it and then I'll tell you briefly about how we did the art of neighbouring in our street got it the woman above with the baby. I am dreaming. The couple you see in the hallway. Sue and Pete. Or is it Paul? No, it's Pete. Number 24, who really, really love Christmas. 
Even the nosy bloke on the corner. They might not be your dearest, but they're your nearest. So this Christmas, why not spread a little TK Maxx? Because with magical gifts for less, it's easy to give just one more. Okay, ignore the give a little TK Max. I'm, I'm hoping someone got their sack over that line. Um, that's horrendous, that line. But the, the, the premise of the advert is a good one, I think. Um, and actually, I, me and Annie had already had a discussion before I saw that, that one of the things we're going to try and do to get to know some of the neighbours that we know the name of, but we don't know particularly well, we, we thought that we would um, give them a Christmas card and perhaps a, a bottle of good wine so they don't think I'm tight, and, um, and, a, and, a, and a leaflet to the, a flyer for the Christmas thing, just to kind of, you know, not expect anything back, but just to show that actually we, we care about them and we do like having them as neighbours. Um, so we've, we think that we're going to try and do that um, with some of the, the lesser-known people in our street. So, like I said, Steve asked me to... Well, I hope everyone's feeling slightly uncomfortable. Um, about this and going home thinking, oh, I've got to go and be nice to my neighbours. And it's harder than you think, because I, as a side note, I um, recently, I hope the neighbours don't listen to this online. <laughs> we had a bloke in our street who put a drop curb in and I kicked off a bit of a fuss about it. And then halfway through, when I was complaining to the council <laughs> about him, I thought, it's not really the art of neighbouring, this is it. <laughs> but... But he doesn't, he doesn't live in our street, he lives around the corner, so I think that's fine. We don't have to love them. <laughs> so, perhaps one of you would move there. You can love him. Um, so this is where my notes finish. So I thought I would just share briefly how we've, um, me and Andrew have done this. Um, I'm not fibbing when I say when we first heard this talk, we really didn't know our neighbours. We'd lived in our street for about five years. Um, we knew the names of our immediate next-door neighbours. Um, and the guy opposite, but we can't really take credit for that because we found out his name when Andy's dad had a heart attack, um, and this guy works at the hospital and just haven't seen him come in, so we can't really take credit for that. Um, but we were challenged to do this. Anya, is more, like I said, is more um, motivated to do it than I was. I would, if it was just me in there, I'd, probably not, I'd still not know anyone, just being honest. Um, but what happened with um, our neighbours, and I don't know if you have been around for a while and you've heard us talk about this before, Steve's often talked about this idea of the person of peace and finding the person of peace in your street. Now, that doesn't mean they're necessarily the most peaceful, but that means that they're kind of, uh, um, it's a bit like a gatekeeper, so if you, if you get to know them, then everything kind of unfolds and you get to know other, lots of other people. Now, we thought that this, you know, you can often look at your street and think, um, that's the person of peace, that's the person we've got to get to know. Now, the person of peace in our street was not the best person to get to know. Um, she would have been the most difficult. She's actually moved out now. Um, but she w- it would have just been horrendous, and I think that's why I was sitting there thinking, oh, I don't want to get to know her. She's a nightmare. Um, she's just nosy, and you know, but she knew everyone. But I think she knew everyone for the wrong reasons. Anyway, I digress. Um, so when Eleanor was a baby, Anya, well, before she was born, Annie went to these classes, these 
birthing classes or something. And there was this... Wo- <laughs> I don't know what they were. <laughs> something. There wasn't ones that I went to. The ones she went to. Um, and she came back one day and said, um, oh, there's this woman in my group who I th- I'm sure lives a few doors down from us. Um, I, think I'll, I think I'll say hello next week. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Um, so she did. And um, she said, so because my natural thing would have been to go up to her and say, oh, we live in the same street, and then left it at that. But Anya being Anya said that, and then actually they've built up, they've started meeting up when they gave birth and all that kind of thing, and they've gone out for walks and stuff. And actually that relationship has gone from not knowing her at all, um, sort of two years ago, to Anya and her are really, really close friends. Um, we are, invite them to Alpha, they turned us down. Um, Eleanor goes around and plays. Um, just on Friday, when Alan, Annie was poorly um, and we had to get her to the doctors, um, Joe, the neighbour, came round and took Eleanor for the day or for the morning. Um, and that kind of thing, is, we've gone through the process of trying to love our neighbours and we've got to a point where actually the neighbours are, begin- are beginning to love us back and love as in service back. And that was never intentional. We just went out to try and get to know them and get to, um, to love them. One of the things that also is interesting... Um, to highlight is when you hear this talk one of my initial reactions was I don't want to convert my street and I think I got it all wrong it's not about converting the people in your road it's about being friendly Um, there will be opportunities I mean Anya comes back and says she's had these amazing talks with this woman about faith and life and all that kind of thing but she's um, initiated them you know we have them around for dinner and we go around there for dinner and I think out of the Four or five times we've been there, most times at some point in the evening, they've, they've asked us about our faith. Not, we've never brought it up, ever. They've asked us. Um, so it has to be a really natural thing. Now, through them, we've got to know another um, lady in our street who's in a completely different life stage. Um, we've got to know the guy opposite a bit better. Um, but then when we've got the confidence because of those relationships, we've then gone, you know, next door and we know him a bit better and we're going to have him over at Christmas at some point and he doesn't know it yet. He might have, <laughs> if he's a secret listener to the podcast, he does now. Um, and, you know, the lady, the, the family next door to us by Eleanor presents and, you know, they're a lot friendlier and stuff like that. And it just seems really natural. And I think one of the things that I've found out that is people aren't as scary as you think they are. They're not as mean as you, and they're not as grumpy as you. <laughs> you know, I think, oh, people are just going to react like I am if someone came up to me. I'm like, oh, I don't really, you know. But they don't. They're actually, there's people out there who are craving for people to be nice to them and to love them. Um, so I urge you, if you haven't yet done it, and I have spoke to a few people, and they're not here either, um, then even if it is just to start with, knock on the door and give them a card, take some, you know, at the very least, they'll just think you've watched the TK Maxx advert. <laughs> and they're not going to think you're that weird. They'll think, oh, they saw it on TV after the X Factor. That's very nice of them. And they won't just think, oh, you're a complete weirdo, because the notion's out there now. The idea of being nice to your neighbour is out there. Um, so I urge you, Christmas is a brilliant opportunity to do that. And what you might find is that if we begin to love our neighbours, like I said, our neighbours might begin to love us back. So if anyone's tweeting, that would be a good tweet. Rob, 
That's a good tweet, that is. Um, okay, should we stand um, and we'll pray and then... Okay, one of the things that, um, while I was preparing for this, and funnily enough, Anya um, said the same at a separate time to me, was um, this idea of loving um, your neighbour as yourself, um, and that perhaps there's people here who find that a difficult concept because they don't particularly love their self, themselves very much. Um, not in a self-centred way, but in a, you know, you don't really think much of yourself or think highly of yourself. So if that is you, we we'll, would love to pray for you. Um, but I'll just quickly pray and then we'll, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and we'll see what happens.